4: Back Dom.
5: hey Kat, how are you? We've had a little break, little two weeks, three weeks. Is that how long? Little it's small been?
4: podcast hiatus. How's how's your couple of weeks been? Month? I don't know. Time is relative. It's
5: been it's been good. It's been good. I I bought and moved into a house, so that's positive news on my end, which is a whole nightmare. And now I'm sort of trying to slowly fish things from the move that I'm like, oh, I need this thing today, and I don't know where it is. It could be anywhere. So. <laughs>
4: Sidebar. Congratulations!
5: Thank you very much. And with no more Gilding Lily and absolutely no ado whatsoever, let's dive into rewatch episode season one, episode nine, named quite aptly Rise Up. The air date was March 8th in 2016. Good grief. That seems like such a long way away now. It was written by Holly Overton I and know. directed by Jay Miller Tobin, starring Kat McNamara, Dominic Sherwood, myself, Alberto Resende, Matthew Daddario, Emerald Tobia, Isaiah Mustafa, Harry Shum Jr. And guest starring David Castro, John Corr, Stephanie Bennett, Jade Hassoun, Christina Cox, Paulino Nunes, and Raymond Ablak. Wow, that was a lot to get through. Kat, take over while I catch my breath.
4: I mean, what an all-star guest star lineup. Who? take a drink, take a breath, rest yourself. While I dive into Rise Up, New Alliances Must Be Formed. With the Institute on high alert, Jace, Clary, and Isabel are forced into taking action. After the attack, the Institute and the Clave are on high alert and are taking no prisoners to get answers. Well, maybe a few prisoners. (laughs) When Lydia makes a harsh call on Celies, Jace, Clary, and Isabel fear that this decision could be disastrous and the wrong way to defeat Valentine. Left with no other choice, the trio attempts to stop what is about to take place. Meanwhile, Simon struggles to deal with his new situation, and Alec is emotionally torn with what's happening at the Institute. Everybody's torn in so many directions.
5: I feel like we're leading up to, this is like a big episode that leads to so many ep- so many things that happen in the next, like, t- yeah. three episodes.
4: Yeah, well, episode 10...
5: 10 is, is 10 the is weird alternate one.
4: universe, if I'm not mistaken. 10 is alternate
5: universe, correct. So this is taking us to alternate universe.
4: I mean, think about this. 10, 11, we have the big drop. You know, bomb oh, of yeah. Mic drop mythology moment. news. Yeah, twelve is you know the big event, and thirteen yeah. is our season one is finale. The finale. So we yeah. kind of. This is the last, yeah. the last normal episode, as this it were. This is the
5: sprint, the the start of the sprint towards the end.
4: <laughs> this is that that ride on the roller coaster where you're just going tick 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 mm-hmm. tick, tick tick up the uphill before yeah. it's the you know downhill rush to the loops and the finish. What's interesting about this is that it's kind of the one episode where we, you know, we've jumped around a lot for book lovers, and a lot of the mythology is sort of shuffled and we've had new characters added and new things are being thrown about and, and all out of order for book fans. But it's it's interesting to see because this episode kind of nicely takes the divergences we've made and puts them on the right track to sort of being Still within the story. You know, the the Alberta or Alberto, the Simon vampire plotline doesn't happen until book two. And we don't really get as involved with the Sealies until later books. And Lydia Branwell is a character that doesn't even exist in the books. And so we have a lot of these different elements that are all converging at once. And we really get to see a lot more of the Clave in this episode, which um, the Clave and we go back to the City of Bones. Do we? And also, Parabatai. We do go back to the City of Bones, but the outside of the City of Bones. Uh, Do you remember when we were at, it wasn't the Hearn, but we we also, it was the same day we shot your fight in the soap factory. It was outside when we had our big badass, like, walk with all the different factions factions, walking together for the first time. I do remember now. Against Alec Laywood, yeah.
5: Yeah, I was getting, I'm getting some lines crossed. I got, if I'm honest, I got a little ahead of myself with the rewatch, and I'm like mid season two now. Uh, I just sort of kept going, um, so now um, they're all sort of blurring into patience. one again. But it's okay because I've got my handy dandy cheat sheet, and I'm gonna peruse through this. Yes, that's right, that's right. We have our parabatai tie breaking yeah. moment. Got punched in the face in this,
4: yeah,
5: uh, in this episode. Matt Daddario punched me in the ear, Fight Club style.
4: So before we get to that, let me reel you back in because we'll get there. Mm-hmm. We'll get to the soap factory. You can stand on your soap box about the soap factory. Is that what factory. it was? Oh, was it
5: a soap factory? I've always thought that was the Hearn. That wasn't the Hearn?
4: Well, no, no, no. No, the Hearn was the coal refinery. Mm. This was the soap factory, which was the other place where we only went there once, maybe in twice. In my head, we
5: were in the same building
4: for it, these it, two It things. looked the same. It pretty much it looked did. the same. But the interesting thing yeah. about this one is that The entire crew had to be in basically hazmat suits and masks before masks were cool in 2020. If that was if cool is the right word, I don't know. But necessary, necessary, commonplace because of all of. I think it was still an active factory, and there was all of the residuals from everything that you know they put in soap before it's okay for human consumption.
5: Consumption, Uh, but regardless, what are you doing with soap? You don't consume soap, you lunatune.
4: You know, not all my words are right, Dom.
5: No, come on. Sure,
4: application.
5: Application. As long as you're not... I'm concerned for you. Are you consuming soap?
4: Dom, Dom, Dom. Skin is a semi-permeable membrane. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: Some
4: gets through. So technically, some is consumed slash absorbed by the skin. So it's consumption in a way, indirectly. Yeah, skin is a semi-permeable membrane.
5: I'm going to look this up right here, right now. How do you think lotion gets in your skin? How do you think... I suppose yeah. it does get absorbed into the skin but I mean, it's an but it organ go technically.
4: Well, it's an organ, but it's it's technically, you know, slightly semipermeable of a membrane. Cell walls are semi-permeable membranes in non-plant yeah. organisms. Cell membranes, not cell walls. We don't have yeah, cell no, walls. You, you're
5: plants. absolutely right. Yeah.
4: This, this is selectively not a science. This is <laughs> organic
5: nutrients. Wouldn't you look at that? Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. So
4: this is not Contrary to popular belief, not a biology podcast. This is a no. Shadowhunters Rewatch podcast. Correct. So we're going to circle back. So if you remember, at the end of episode eight, Simon darted off, calling himself a monster, and Raphael went, I'll take care of him. And we pick up right where that left off with Simon running in, hitting the some sort of bakery truck, I believe, and Raphael coming after him. And it's yeah, I remember this shot because it was one of my. It was one of the first times we got to play with with shots where they had the broken mirror that Simon hits, and Raphael in reflection behind him. And it's the moment where he's going, "Wait, I'm not a vampire. I can still see my reflection. I can still do all these things." And it's a fun little wink that we get to have in the show. Going, "No, we don't do that. That's just a mm-hmm. that's a myth. We yeah, don't have that one."
5: the cool thing about doing a uh, conceptually doing a story that has been told from so many different points of view before is you do get the chance to say like now we're not doing this one like i remember we had a lot li- yeah. there was a line in vampire academy i think rose hathaway says um, and it's just such a throwaway line but it was like uh she was explaining what vampires are and she's like and no we don't sparkle and it's like, oh, that's cool. Like, we're doing different vampires. You know what I mean? Like, our vampires are different yeah, to the other yeah. ones that you've seen before. Like, this is the this is our version of that story. And that's kind of neat um, that we get to sort of
4: mm-hmm.
5: reinvent the wheel a little. I say we. I didn't do anything. Holly did it all in this one.
4: Exactly. Well, and then, you know, as as is the case, Clary and Jace run and show up. And also something else in the end of the last episode at the Institute, It the Institute got attacked. The Mortal Cup was stolen. Yeah. A, or no. It yeah. Wasn't. The mortal cup was stolen, wasn't it? Was it? Oh no, because it was in the safe.
5: Uh. Yeah. No, it wasn't. That doesn't get stolen until later, and friends become enemies. You're right. Enemies become friends. That whole right. thing.
4: Right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So it hasn't been stolen yet. Spoiler alert. But it almost gets stolen. And what happens at the end of this scene? Jace gets a call. And this is when we start to enter the parabatai element of this episode, which I'll let Dom get into. But what we do have is a bit of our, what I like to call our mundane parabatai, Simon and Clary. Simon, or Clary and Jace split ways for the first time in a few episodes. Jace goes to the Institute because Alex in trouble. The Institute's been attacked. He has things to go to. Clary goes off with Luke to find Simon because that is her heart and soul and everything that, you know, she's trying desperately to make amends because she realizes, oh, she made a mistake and maybe a bad decision. And it's interesting to go into this because we have, you know, the first of many heartbreaking Clary and Simon scenes in this episode where Clary fesses up and tells Simon that it was my fault. And I made the decision that you became a vampire because I couldn't lose you. And I don't know if it was the right or wrong decision, but it was the decision I made. And I'm going to stand by it because I love you. And it's it's one of the most heartbreaking moments in their friendship because it's the first time that, you know, not the first time. But it is it is another time that Clary has actually hurt Simon because of a decision she's made and what she's done and in this world and being forced to do what she's forced to into in this shadow world and it's it very nearly breaks their friendship and you know Simon does forgive her momentarily
5: this is well, an interesting question in our notes though that says does Simon forgive yeah. her too quickly this is a common thought on fan recap blogs that Simon forgives Clary and accepts his new role as a downworlder too quickly is there any difference in the timeline of this in the books now I can't speak to the books um you can but as far as the story goes I think the I, and this this is something that we sort of rectified in season two as well. Is um, and what you've got to remember is when you're filming a TV show, you don't know if you're going to get another season. Ever, we waited six months from the end of season one before we knew about season two. I'm still waiting about the job that I just finished. I'm contracted. I have a contract for season two, but I don't know if I'm going back to do a season two. Um, and that's just how it works. Yeah. And I think what they did, one of the best things they did uh, at Freeform, at Disney, who you know were the, essentially the money people on this job, was they gave us seven more episodes per season.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: And what that allowed us to do was elongate these stories rather than trying to compress them into, into such a small space, which I think... Um, is a common mistake because when you have a shorter amount of time to tell the story, you want to tell as much of the story as possible. You don't want these characters who come in and are just sort of there waiting for their time to shine. You want these stories to get out there. And when we got 20 episodes, we had seven more episodes, seven more hours, which is like five and a half movies long to tell an elongated version of that story. Um, so I think there's a world in which these bloggers and these fans, cr- well, look, here's the reality is if you're a fan of the show, if you're a fan of anything, whatever your opinion is, it's correct because it's your opinion. It's how yeah. you, you received the medium. So it's, you're absolutely correct. Whether we agree with you or not is a different story. But that's, you know, that's what being an artist is about. And that's what being a, a lover of art is about. You know, You're supposed to develop your opinions. Mm-hmm. In this instance, interestingly, I kind of agree. I do think that this, in reality, if we look at the timeline, and we did used to look at the timeline a lot and laugh at like, oh, wow, Clary's really good at this. How long has she been a shadow hunter? Like a week and a little bit? That's crazy <laughs> like that she's picked all days. this up so much. I don't know. Um, seriously. So, yeah, yeah, I think there's a world in which this did happen too quickly, but th- this is the way we told our story. And like I say, we got the opportunity to sort yeah. of rectify some of that speed storytelling later on
4: yeah, and also, given the sort of accelerated timeline, as you said that we have in television at times, it you're sort of forced into that. I think if I remember correctly from the books, it is there there's some time, and they part ways and they're separated for a bit of time. So they're you know, on separate paths dealing with different things, and they're not necessarily confronted with this resolution right away. And it gives them the time and the space to let that breathe, much like we see with Simon and Clary in season two when they have another fracture in their friendship for other reasons. They kind of part ways and go down different paths. And then when the time they're able to reunite, they've sort of healed a bit and are able to do so in a a more realistic way. Which again, as you said, having seven more episodes helps a lot with. But I I love the parallels in this episode because again, time and time again, we have these parallels between Simon and Clary and Alec and Jace. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: And we've had these two friendships that have been on sort of contentious terms and these sort of bonds, one mortal, one sort of supernatural as it were that have been tested over the last several mm-hmm. episodes and we get to see a bit of the fallout from that you know whether first of all in this Simon and Clary sense and then you see Jace finally going back to the institute to kind of try and reestablish and refulfill his duties as a shadow hunter and coming into the situation finding Lydia having arresting Meliorn and Alec being injured from this attack and Izzy who's having to deal with her new role and you know Jace kind of comes into this and maybe you can speak to that a little bit about you know the the friction that's being caused and Jace's kind of new perspective perhaps on how the shadow world works
5: yeah it's tough it will because Alec is Alec is dealing with a lot of things in what he has been trained let me sort of decompress it in my head like he we have both been <laughs> like ushered mentally into this is the way we think the law is hard but it's the law that's what we follow that's what we've followed for centuries and that's what keeps the, keeps people safe and that's how we have been successful as shadow hunters right um that works with love that works with the uh being a soldier that works with criminality that works with law so then alec ends up in this situation where he's making choices to to rectify the mistakes made by the older generation of Lightwoods whilst also dealing with his sort of blossoming sexuality. Mm -hmm. So I think the question I always had with this is, wouldn't Jace be able to sense it? Wouldn't Jace be able to be, he would know because we can sense each other's feelings. Can't he just figure that out? And the answer was, and I thought this was interesting. I actually quite liked it. The answer was no, because the part, the part of Alec that he's struggling with, he's also hiding from himself. So I couldn't sense it because Alec was hiding it internally from him first. And then it wasn't being transferred over, which I thought was interesting. And then, so then we got to play with that later on in episode 12, there's something that happens in episode 12, spoiler alert, I'm not saying what it is. But Jace's reaction to that is genuine sort of surprise but also like the, such pride of like, I remember feeling it. I remember, fe- cause we, you know, we filmed that scene for two days. And when it finally happened, I remember yeah. feeling, and we'll talk on this when we're doing episode five, episode 12, but I, this moment of like, when, when your best friend comes out to you or whatever, just, you know, if you, you yeah. love that person for who they are and that sense of pride is so overwhelming. And that I remember that being the the sensation I felt as Jace st- stood up there, just like, fucking good for you, man. That's awesome, you know. That, and yeah. I think that is that is sort of what we're building to here. And the the issues, well, what's interesting in
4: this episode is it's
5: go ahead. No, no, you're okay. Go ahead.
4: Well, just what's interesting in this episode is that it's the exact opposite. You know, we're so building what, to that. That's what I was but saying. This episode exactly. is sort we're of building yeah.
5: towards yeah. this. Um, and I think when you're steering a ship. Using the ship as sort of a mental simile, when you're steering a ship of of like your emotions and you don't know what this what is causing the storm, then it's really difficult for it to be navigated. And I think that's why both Jace and Alec make these poor choices, stepping away from the bond that they have with each other. And then when they finally figure it out, yeah. Jace is like, "Ah, I get it." And Alex, then he is who he is. He is who you know who's born as. So there's this sort of cool resolution, but as we all know about resolution, you have to have conflict before it can be resolved. There's no light without shadow. Yeah. You know what I mean?
4: Well, and the other thing I completely forgot about that Alec and Isabella are dealing with in this episode is that they've just found out that their parents were also circle members. I think Correct. you knew and I knew that our parents were members of the circle up until this point. Like we've, we've discovered that and we're like, oh, surprise, surprise, our parents are lying to us again. Mm-hmm. But then the fact that their parents that have been so hard on them about following the rules and following the law and being, you know, upstanding shadow hunter citizens, as it were, finding out that they were the complete opposite of that of their youth is a huge betrayal once again. And, and ultimately part of why Alec... Proposes to Lydia, and part of why Alec just decides to take matters. I think into entirely his own hands. why
5: Alec proposes to Lydia. To yeah. be honest, I think. Yeah. I I yeah. remember that speech. I remember what he says so clearly. He's you can see that he's confused, and Matt does such an excellent job. Although I don't think it's in this episode. Was it in this episode?
4: Does he propose in this episode?
5: No. Maybe
4: the. No, no, no. It was the end of last episode that he proposes. The oh, I proposed
5: at the end of last it's, episode. There's
4: a lot that happens at the end of eight. It, it's like, bam, 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 bam. We have the attack, we have the proposal, and we have the the Simon mm-hmm. running away, and all this stuff happening all at once. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah,
5: it was a lot of stuff. But he is confused, and he's using, he's using this sort of moral compass that was, you know, imbued to him by his parents, by the Shadowhunters, by the clave, um, to make the decisions mm-hmm. that he thinks is best for his family, best for the people he cares about. And there's, there's a world in which that's admirable, but then there's also a world in which how can you properly serve your family if you're not being true to who you are, you know? It's a tricky balance to find there.
1: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling,
7: A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of
6: On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station
4: that's another element in this episode that you know sort of moving moving into the next couple of scenes that i really love that they continue to do it's this generation of shadow hunters having the opportunity to take the way that things have been done take the goals of what the shadow hunters are meant to do but take it into their own hands and question the clave's methods and question the way that things would have happened and really take the initiative and you see that in you know Obviously, Meliorn is about to go to the City of Bones for interrogation. Isabel is invested, doesn't want that to happen. Alec is torn because between his sister and his fiancée. But Jace also finds out that the clave wants the cup and has had enough with their sort of funny business. And the clave goes, no, no, that's enough. We're taking the cup. We want Clary. Interrogate this Seely, And we're going to put an end to all of this. And no one knows better than the Lightwoods and Jace, That the end means just that, probably for Clary, probably for Meliorn, and probably for, you know, everyone else involved, especially given that it's having to do with the City of Bones and sort of the finality and the danger and the foreboding that that comes with. Um, So Jace, just as Isabel is planning to take matters into her own hands with Meliorn, Jace calls Clary, goes behind his parapetized back again and says, hey, by the way, the clave is looking for you, lay low. You need to find a place where you can be safe. Yeah. Again, we have a little, I know your favorite scene with uh, Alberto as Simon is in a later season. But we have the the twinkle in the eye of that scene in this episode where he goes he goes home. Simon mm. goes home because where else are you going to go? Yeah. He goes home and his mom shows up and he's, she's like, are you okay? And obviously he can't control his impulses yet because he's a hungry fledgling which he's been warned about but you know what else would you do if you were in that situation in a new body in a new form trying to figure out what to do you run home because where else yeah. is safe at that point you don't know anything else yeah and he almost kills his mom and clary steps in the way
5: christina again like knocking it out of the park the two of them together are so good that relationship that they just built just electric yeah really fantastic yeah.
4: We really lucked out with so many of these guest stars, like Nicola, like Christina, like Jade, even, you know, like Raymond and everybody else who... Raymond's role grew a lot. We, we barely got to see him in this episode, but, uh, but we get to see him a lot more later on. By the on. way,
5: in... Because uh, we always used to say, poor Raj... Poor Raj, always getting beaten up and ignored yeah, and whatever. Poor Raj. Uh, Raymond is in, I'm pretty sure, is in a show called Maid with uh, Margaret Qualley right now. I remember yeah. reading the show and it was amazing. And then I watched the first episode and I was like, oh my God, there's Raj. Look at him. He's doing great. He's got a beard. He looks fantastic.
4: Yeah, um, Ray's killing it. Ray's yeah, killing it. So He's so great.
5: Check that out if you, uh, if you get a chance.
4: I feel like such a proud parent sometimes. Be like, yeah, look at all these great things that everybody's doing. I'm so proud of y'all. It's good. Anyway. <laughs> There's one scene I want to particularly talk about because it's another brilliant Simon Lewis moment in this vampire journey. They go to the Hotel de Mort to get the vampire's help and end up getting trapped. Raphael is one step ahead of them because he's trying to establish his dominance. This happens before we have the big tromp into the the thing to save mm. They They go to get the vampire's help. They get the werewolf's help because Luke is leader of the pack and he has the authority to do so. But they don't quite have the help of the vampires and Raphael is still trying you know to establish his dominance as the new leader of the vampire clan and so he's in a bit of a precarious spot and doesn't necessarily feel the need to help this new fledgling and instead traps Clary and Simon in a cage together inside the Hotel de Mort knowing that Simon's a hungry fledgling and has no source of food other than Clary at this moment and Raphael also knowing the choices that Clary has made and that Simon inevitably knows about these choices now, it puts them at odds and in a situation of going, well, Simon has two choices to make. He either aligns himself and pledges his allegiance to Raphael's vampire clan or eats Clary. And at this point, we don't know what choice he's going to make because he hasn't forgiven her yet. This is where that forgiveness happens and this is where there's that moment of Clary fully realizing as she's seeing Simon become more and more hungry and more and more desperate and and seeing his other choice, which is aligning with this being who is clearly not kind in in a lot of ways and is is willing to use even their constituents and even their own kind against them. Clary just fully gives up the ghost and goes, you know what, fine. It's my fault. Eat me if you want. I deserve it. And Simon, being the wonderful, brilliant, beautiful friend that he is, makes the selfless choice, gives his allegiance to the vampire clan, and drinks a giant cup of Clemato juice every single take. Did you know that?
5: Revolting. I didn't know that.
4: At this point, we were still figuring out what the vampire blood actually was. And at that point in this episode, they decided to use Clemato juice. So
5: Revolting.
4: Bless Alberto and give him all the awards for drinking, chugging an entire glass of Clamato juice every take.
5: Some people love it. I have friends who love it. My buddy Matt Shively swears by a a Clamato Bloody Mary. Shively? Shively Okay, but it wasn't a Bloody
4: Mary. It was straight Clamato juice.
5: Well, I mean, but that's a a virgin Clamato Bloody Mary then. But it's still, Clamato juice is clam and tomato, correct? Uh
4: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, revolting. Good on you, Alberto. I wouldn't yeah. have done that. I don't no. think that sounds. No,
4: not, not although for
5: me. I did just have to do a scene fairly recently with uh, A1 sauce, which I thought oh, yeah. was, was barbecue sauce. I thought that's what that was. I've never oh, tasted no. it before. So my, I have to no, no, dig no. into this food and really enjoy it. Whenever bite number one, I've really laid it on and I go, oh what in the world is a that is revolting that tastes it's vinegary it is and steak ugh, sauce it is horrendous mm-hmm. I had no idea I was really looking forward to that day until I realized that that's what it tasted like
4: listen what a, take shame. It from a Kansas City girl myself barbecue sauce would have been a better choice for sure I but next time you're going to do a scene with A1 I'll provide you with some barbecue sauce yeah, I'll get you some Kansas yeah. City barbecue sauce your way and we'll we'll take care of that
5: I would greatly appreciate it.
4: <laughs> I'll make sure you're well-stocked. But then we get to sort of the next phase of this episode, which, again, we've talked about this a lot, where the downworld unites. New alliances must be formed, and that we do. And we have the, the first of a few of this season, badass walks down a shadowy corridor silhouetted by backlights and fog as we have yeah. werewolves, vampires, sealies, and shadow hunters all together against the clave and alec lightwood
5: the clave and alec lightwood yeah and we have uh shadow hunter smoke grenades shadow hunters flashbangs can't remember what they were but this is the oh, only yeah. time we use them again we only use them this one time <laughs> which is so strange but there you are yeah we have these useful tools that we just don't use
4: i know it's more fun to see us you know try and figure it out without the tools the tools make it too mm-hmm. easy you want to tell us a little bit about the soap factory?
5: I honestly thought the soap factory was the Hearn until you mentioned it. I even filming there, I just thought that this yeah. was another like little back room in the Hearn, and it wasn't. So there you go. Very often, especially for the night shoots, I will sleep on the way there.
4: All right. I'll talk a little bit about The Soap Factory. So what our our show so cleverly did, and I think it's because, you know, we were based in Toronto, which is such a film-friendly city, is it found all of the creepy, old, decrepit, industrial places to shoot in. And uh, half the time, it was on the back of our soundstage, on the roof of our soundstage, somewhere within our space. But this time, it was not. This time it was actually across town in a bit more industrial area in a, I believe, still functioning soap factory, which part of it had just been decommissioned and dedicated to film sets. So what that leads to is an incredibly dusty interior and exterior with a lot of leftover parts and parcels of industrial equipment and uh, some big loading docks that are big enough to fit, lo and behold, bunch of vampires, a bunch of sealies, a bunch of warlocks, a couple of couple of vampires, and uh, some werewolves, and you know a few a few clave soldiers march in a sealy to his imminent doom, which he never reaches thanks to some smoke bombs. But you know the other the other interesting element of all of this is we get to see we get to see each of these shadow hunters be a leader in different ways. We see. Alec being a leader in his own way, taking charge, taking the Clave's mantle and and trying to use it in his own way. We see Jace being the leader of his side of the Shadowhunters and and organizing everyone and and dealing with making choices that are going to help Clary and everyone else in the future. And we see Clary get to be a leader for the first time as she tends to be the the key in uniting the downworld with the shadow hunters and the one who is calling into question why are we these separate factions? Why are we fighting against each other when we should yeah. be fighting against the clave and what they're trying to do? And it's I remember there's this moment where some of my favorite lines though between Raphael and Luke and Simon and all of the, you know, sit dog Woof, heal, all of these things that, you know, we got to watch our our gentleman play between. But Clary just goes, Enough. We don't have time to fight. We don't have time to do any of this. We're gonna do this or we're all gonna die. Or Valentine's gonna win. And what good is that gonna do anyone? Agreed. And you know, we get to see each of these these shadow hunters be leaders in new ways. And that's that's really exciting because it's a you know something that continues throughout throughout our series.
5: It is, and it's a fun foreshadowing to what happens. Hello, handsome,
4: where have you been?
5: Um the dog. Um, it's a fun foreshadowing to what we get to see literally at the end of the story, the places that these people find themselves in, in the world, you know, the, the promotions and the avenues that they end up taking. And sort of towards the end of our story, every, almost everyone sort of finds themselves in the place that, that we almost assigned in season one, you know? The soldier, the leader, the teacher—we have all of these, all of these people in the places they need to be in. So that's pretty neat. That's pretty cool.
4: But it's interesting. I, it was, it was so odd. I remember it being so odd on set, f- standing off against Matt because we had gotten kind of in the groove by that point of being a squad of you know shadow hunters and or shadow hunters plus werewolf or shadow hunters plus Monday slash vampire. Mm-hmm. And as we kind of get into this. It was great to have sort of all of these different shapes and creatures and things, learning how they move and what their tools are. But there was definitely someone missing.
5: Yeah, it was. We had a missing piece of the puzzle, which I, I does lead us quite nicely to the uh, city of Bones service entrance, as it were, mm-hmm. and to uh, yeah, the unfortunate breaking point between between Alec and Jace. And you know, this was fun. My family was there this day. Um, my little brother who'd never been on a set before. I remember that. Yeah, so we do, we do the first big take of this scene, big wide, you know, just try and capture everything. Um, my brother comes up and he goes, that was great, dude. Cool, man, what happens now? Do we go home? And I'm like, nah, buddy. That was that was shot one in a in a forty shot lineup. We're gonna be here for another couple of hours. And he's like, can I go home? I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> it's still good. Being on sets a bit dull after yeah. the first one. It's not for us. We love it, but watching sometimes yeah. is like, why am I watching it again and again and again and again? Now I know his lines. <laughs> anyway, the uh, the scene we got to do between Alec and Jace, it, Matt and I. It, again, you know these these bonds that develop with with the human beings that you're working with, the people that you're working with are so important when you're doing stuff like this. Cause we, so we'd showed up on this day and they put down like a two inch sort of foam mat kind of, that looks like concrete. And they put that down on the floor cause we both spend quite a lot of time on our backs in this fight. And underneath is, is pretty rubber, pretty rugged gravel over concrete. So it was pretty rough. Just,
4: yeah. Just and what
5: we read. noticed was is, Every time we we switched our feet to get ready for a kick or to move or whatever, this foam was so soft that we would tear a hole in it with our foot. And we didn't realize ah, that until we'd start gosh, hitting the right. ground and an elbow would land in one of those spots that would just hit the concrete. And you're like, oh, that didn't feel good at all. I didn't like that whatsoever. But, you know, it's part and parcel of what we do. And um, I joke that Matt hit me in the ear; He barely, barely touched me. Um, or maybe he hit me with all his force and he's just a lot weaker than he looks. Ha <laughs> ha. He's not here. He can't argue with me. Aww. No, he, what happened was he bounced off the floor <laughs> on the way towards my face. Um, and just sort of glanced off my ear. It was nothing at all really. Um, and I love the guy yeah. to bits, but like I, the, you know, like I've been mentioning, these are those scenes where it's dark and we're tired and it's dirty in there. Um, the floors, you know, not as protected as it should be and. I rely on Matt to keep me safe and he relies on me to keep him safe. And we, we ran these scenes over and over. I think, I think there's a, there's a video that, that comes up on my Instagram every now and then just like a little tiny two second clip of Matt and I rehearsing outside the train in the trailer base. And that was this fight. And we, cause we would every, every spare second we had, we would, we would just let's go into a corner and run this, run this fight quickly as many times as we could. So yeah, yeah credit to Matt, that was, uh, it was a lot of fun.
4: Well, and I will say that's something time and time again, that we would not have been able to do a lot of the things that we were able to accomplish on this show had we not all trusted each other the way that we did. You know, being putting yourself with another actor in a situation like that, we're not as trained as a stunt person to do these fights. We're not as trained as, you know, we should be. Especially, but I think, you know, you and I learned a lot by mid-season two where we were incredibly more proficient than we were in season 1 and and arguably as prepared as any actor could have been for these kind of situations but um you know the fact that we were so committed to learning these things and doing these things properly and keeping each other safe we built up that level of trust that kind of allowed us the the luxury of exhibiting that part of our characters as well and we had amazing doubles throughout but it's nice to be able to take as much ownership as is safe as an actor on those sides of your character because especially for a show like this where the way that they fight and the way that they move and the way that they you know exhibit themselves in a more violent manner in this world, is so much of who they are.
5: Yeah, I mean, yeah. With the doubles, I so Aaron later on, we had Jamie season one who was very good also, but Aaron, I think the difference between a a good double and a great double, and I've had my fair share of doubles now, is Aaron would ask me how, he would watch how I moved and he would move like me. He got in the correct physical, he was my exact build. And, and there are times when I watch it and I don't, I don't know if it's me or if it's him, I I know, you know, I'll watch a fight scene and I'm like, I know he did one take of this, but I can't remember which take it was. Mm -hmm. And I can't, the movement's the same. He moves like me. Um, and that was really something that's, and I think that's the difference between a good double and a great double. And Aaron was a great double. I'd work with him again in a heartbeat.
4: Absolutely. I found the same thing with Mediev in in the later seasons as well because you know I didn't move like a fighter and she did and we sort of watched each other and the way that Clary moved particularly the way Clary fought ended up being somewhere of a middle ground between the two of us cuz we both tried to take bits of each other's physicality cuz Clary was somewhere between the two of us and and it was amazing to to work with someone who is you know a world champion martial artist and so skilled at stunts and all of this and to be able to find that together for the character to make it right and to make it as authentic as possible and it, it it was such a cool experience
5: yeah that's that's what i used to say to aaron um a lot is you know we're playing this part we're playing jace together it's there there are times where i'm trusting jace to you on screen and i'm trusting that that you're going to do it do him justice and he always did and he always used to say no you're playing him and i'm like no buddy we're playing him we're playing jace in these moments this is both of us
1: as important as choosing the right destination when traveling
7: Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey,
6: my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station
1: It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to
6: get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
4: This was our, our first kind of epic fight scene between two of our mm. main characters where, you know, we have a lot of these throughout the series where two main characters are trying to kill each other for one reason or another. But this was one of the first epic ones. And I just remember being so proud of you two. So kudos to both of you because you Thanks. came in and under, you know, not the best of circumstances and in certain elements of it, even though, you know, everyone tries the best. But on set, everything inevitably goes wrong one way or another. Uh and you guys pulled it off and you made it great. And so it's it's really astounding. So congrats.
5: Thanks. Um, this scene does end tumultuously with uh, the Seraph dagger against Jace's throat. Alec eventually resolving to say, no, I'm not going to come with you. I'm going to follow the rules. Thus initiating the the first big separation of these two. I actually think the only real separation, except for in season three where Jace is all, whew, um, the only real big separation between these two uh, happens now. Happens in in these next yeah. two episodes, and um, I think
4: that speaks a lot to the Parabatai bond and to the relationship that these two characters have because they learn from this fissure more so than yeah. Simon and Clary do. They learn from this fissure yeah. what what their bond means to them. Although there is the Beginning of beginning of season two, but that's not really by choice.
5: No, that's well, and also correct me if I'm wrong. I I'm, I'm, might have forgotten what happens, but isn't he using it to try and reach me to help rather than to to hunt?
4: Yes, yes, yay right.
5: Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's uh, season two is a whole whole different thing. In That's so a many whole facets. different barrel
4: of fish. Huh. The another thing I wanted to to bring up because it's a big point for the books and it's it's a storyline that you know is sort of not quite resolved but comes to a bit of a, a ending here is the romantic feelings that Alec mm. has for Jace and Jace finally says it to his face.
5: He doesn't. He doesn't quite get it out. Um, and it was by design. It, it was intentional because mm. I think we sort of discussed it. And I think if that might've been a line that you can't really come back from when it's it's crossed. Um, I don't think mm. that stepping over that is is particularly redeemable, especially with their relationship. So the words are never actually said. Um, the intonation is kind of there, but the words are never really said. It's It's cut short, which I think was the correct choice. Because it, that, that was sort of the, the log line more in the books. Um, but we didn't really touch on it properly in, in the show. Like it's not, we didn't really pay that much attention to that romantic feeling between the two of them. Um, just sort of that mm-hmm. one moment with the memory demon is a, a sort of nod to it. Yeah. And that's kind of it. It's, you know, very quickly Magnus is on the scene yeah. and that that romance is starting to bud and, you know, this, that and the other. So I'm glad we didn't pay too much attention to it because it, it, all in all, there are far too many slightly incestuous storylines yeah. in the show. Um, so I'm glad yeah. that this wasn't one of them.
4: There you go. Another element that I just sort of put together as we've been talking about all of these mm. fissured friendships is... The Clay's relationship we haven't really touched on because we get to see little bits of it in this episode, and in fact, it's very important to understand it in this episode going forward into ten and particularly eleven. But I think it's interesting and very clever writing actually that you've sort of broken the friendships and the the safe places that these characters have. Sorry,
5: my beard has just got long enough that I can do this to the corner of it. You got your little, and I'm obsessed. You got a little handlebar.
4: Ooh. Let's. You look like a supervillain, Dom.
5: I'm obsessed. I feel like I look like like Men in Tights era Robin Hood. That's what I feel like with oh, this. Oh
4: yeah.
5: You know what I mean. Well, give
4: give Carrie a call and, and let him know that you're taking taking his like, fo- listen, taking mate. in his footsteps. Remake. Um, but Dom, back yes. to the the serious conversation. About Sorry.
2: Let me your put them down. Your mustache is lovely.
4: Your facial hair is your facial yeah. hair is lovely. But let's talk about place. Yes. <laughs> I have a feeling that's going to be a quote. Your facial hair is lovely, but let's talk about place. Yeah. That's that's going to be a teaser. That's going to be our post anyway, for the week, I'm sure. Uh, but it, it. uh-huh. But it's interesting because you you've broken the two friendships and the two safe spaces that these characters have and it's lovely because it it forces them or allows them as it were to lean on each other and to mm-hmm. lean on this new relationship that even in amongst all of this other world bending trauma that's going on this budding relationship and you really get to see sort of the electricity and the connection between these two characters that that bonds them for the rest of the series and particularly through the next three four episodes
5: Mm. yeah yeah i agree because clace is about to go through a whole bunch for these three episodes and then the first like 10 episodes just basically for the rest of the season, the rest of the show. For
4: the rest of the season, yeah. It's
5: for the rest of the show,
4: except for one brief part of one date. They, it's funny with Clay. Yeah. They have we have these little shining moments of of nice dates or very little little, very small like it's just like a scene or a half scene where you're like oh they'd be such a great couple look at how happy they are oh this is great now we're gonna destroy it all
5: we're gonna destroy it
4: yeah i always knew every time i read a script it's like oh happy clay scene this is nice what's gonna happen
5: yeah it's a bad (laughs) omen a good scene is a bad omen in our show because it means some shit's about to go down
4: Mm -hmm.
5: normally for clary and jace
4: Normally, Jace one a lot or both. happens to
5: Jace a lot. Oh, poor Jace! I it does happen I'm, to Jace a lot. I am gonna maybe I'll see if I can finish season two in the next couple of days whilst I'm supposed to be painting and doing all sorts of stuff. Seeing as that was Are my TV, okay, guy,
4: By the way, it's it? a lot of that's it's a, a, lot lot of <laughs> it oh, a lot of trauma. It
5: is.
6: I'm gonna get some Guinness in. A lot of
4: trauma to go through. Yeah, Make but anyway, night. jumping back to the end, everyone's at the Hotel de Mort because that's where Simon has to live now, and that's mm-hmm. his home now because he can't go home and he he can't be at the Institute because Lydia's on a warpath. So the only place for him is the Hotel de Mort, which is terrifying at this point.
5: Yeah. Yeah, not ideal. Poor Simon.
4: So Simon and Clary have to say goodbye. Izzy and Meliorn have to say goodbye. Izzy goes to the Institute. Alec is back with Lydia. And uh, Meliorn gives Clary his own form of allegiance. And, and tells her that she, he has a way to help her find Valentine as they proceed to the Seely Glade for episode 10.
5: Very clever writing. Very clever writing. And I didn't realize until the rewatch that he does, in fact, take Clary to her father. This might need to be the beginning of the next episode because I'm giving everything away. But we because th- in the books, he's, he's the only Seely who can lie. Right. So we uh, the assumption is that he just lied well, and in the, but in didn't in the show as well. No. No, I don't think it ever come ever comes up, does it?
4: I don't think it ever comes out, but I think I think Jade still played it that way.
5: Did he Oh, he did. Interesting. That'd be interesting to discuss with him.
4: Yeah. I think I think we'll have to ask Jade if he did, but yeah, I know I, I know Jade read the books as well, so yeah. I think he always kept that as an option for himself. Cool. Um, in case they ever played on it, but I, I actually yeah. don't know
5: interesting very interesting
4: but another um i mean we're we're almost we're almost at time now but another element that i'm i'm seeing in our notes that would be interesting to touch on is there's a lot of these you know we had it with clary last week and we had it with jace a few weeks ago and all of these characters are put with these impossible choices you know mm. you, you it's, it's these moral dilemmas that i i think are so great to see because Everyone in life is faced with moral dilemmas from time to time, and we have to figure out how to solve them. And the only way to do so is is to just confront them head on. And that's what you see these characters doing. But Alec is in a bit of a pickle at the moment because he's he's making these choices. And I'd love to talk to Matt more about this. Because you don't 100% know where his motivations lie. Because is Mm -hmm. he making these choices because of the news he's finding out about his parents and the position that they're putting him in? Is he making these choices to you know, sort of in spite of what Jace is doing and the choices he's making? Is he making these choices because he's trying to push away a certain part of himself that he's not yet comfortable with? Or, you know, who is it fair to? Is it fair to Magnus? Is it fair to Lydia? Is it fair to himself? He says he's doing it for the good of his family, but, and and is it fair to anyone to even do that? Is that even worth preserving, knowing what he knows now about his parents? What are your thoughts on that, Dom? I
5: think... I don't know. I I think I can only really base it on my experience or the experience of my friends and when you're going through either a transitionary fra- phase in their life or um you know anything that's causing this sort of this uh, like mental uh, turmoil you sometimes don't make the right choices because you're you're still figuring out where your where your grounding is. You're still figuring out how having yeah. two feet on the ground and which direction that's gonna that's gonna that's gonna push you. And as a result, you're making choices when you're sort of, you know, you're still you're still figuring out your balance. And I, I know people who've made choices that they weren't happy with or would potentially go back and redo now knowing who they are and being comfortable with who they are. So I think when you know, when you talk about fairness, I think the the broader conversation of fairness there is how secular it is, how how it ends up sort of looping back around because the the fairness of Alex's treatment and not being welcome to be who he is leading to him making poor choices that are hurting the people around him some of those people being the people who instilled in him that being who he is is not the correct way to live his life and how that sort of yeah. you know funneling background in a circle um mm-hmm. is is sort of the paradox when you talk about what is and isn't fair yeah so i think perhaps the conversation there is not necessarily about what's fair but more about the the paradox of and the paradigm of of fairness in itself.
4: Mm-hmm. So that brings this episode to a close. But I think it's worth teasing a little bit of next week because we've had a lot happening. We've had a lot of storylines come in and out, and as we're nearing the end of this season, I think it's worth noting that you know we've we've turned the shadow world on its head up until this point, or so yeah. we think. We've done a lot of things. A lot of relationships are upside down. A lot of characters are feeling as though they don't have any firm ground under their feet. And what do we do on Shadowhunters? We take it one step farther and we enter an alternate dimension.
5: Yeah, quite literally flip it on its head.
4: Quite literally, in so many ways. But what's interesting about this, too, is that I don't know if you remember, it was actually a cross-promotion. Being that we're a fan, member of oh, the Disney oh, that's right, with family. Alice in
5: Alice Through the Looking Glass.
4: With Alice Through the Looking Glass, which was the first of a few of these for us, and was quite fun because they brought in like this whole photo yeah. booth, literally with with all this technology that we got to play and see a sneak peek of the movie and and sort of be involved. And as someone who I literally have an Alice in Wonderland tattoo, it's it's one of the stories that's been hugely influential throughout my life, but also one of my favorite original Disney films. I, I think it was really fun for us to be sort of involved in that part of the world as well. Yeah,
5: yeah, it was, yeah. I, I, we did a lot of cross-promotion. Season one and season two, we did a lot that I sort of yeah. forgot about. We did The Mummy. We did, uh, yeah. I did Snow White and the Star Huntsman. Wars? Star Wars, oh, that's, that's right. right. We did. Star Wars. I, Snow White and the Huntsman was wild. So they were like, you want to sit down and interview... Emily Blunt and Charlize Theron and Chris Hemsworth, and I was like, "Holy fucking shit!" I yeah, I, sure, I know. but I might be peeing myself <laughs> the whole time.
2: <laughs>
5: oh that my was a God. wild day. I
4: remember. Um, I was like, "Just tell me about them. Tell me about all of them. I they want to were so hear amazing. all the stories. So I want to be amazing. both of those those they women. Were so I just want to be them when I grow up.
5: I me too. Can I
4: just be somewhere between Charlize Theron and Emily Blunt when I grow up? That'd be great.
5: But yeah, we do did we do did we did do some amazing cross promotions throughout do, did, the show. Do. We did do did do, and we'll talk about that as and when they come up. But um, until next time, I think Perhaps, we sort of rounded ourselves out yeah. fairly well here.
4: I think we did. I do want to mention though, next week's episode is maybe in my top three Alan Van Sprang episodes.
5: Mine the too. Series. Yeah, little little yeah. teaser. There's, there, there's three. All of them. You know who did an amazing job? Who's one of my favorites in this one? Emerald. Emerald did such a cool job in this, and it's so the opposite of her character. Matt as well.
4: Matt almost made me corpse so many uh, times.
5: So good. We got some real, yeah, we got some fun stuff coming up in the next episode. So yeah, um, be sure to check it out, and we will see you. Absolutely. We'll hear, hear you. You will hear us. I don't really know the phrasing yet we're still it was season one of this podcast i'm still figuring it out i'm getting my sea legs
4: just like we were on the show yeah yeah we're figuring out the terminology we'll we'll come back we'll go back into the fray we've got some amazing interviews coming up i can't wait Mm. to share with you all these new guests that we have to to give their version and uh, thank you so much for listening today angels
5: Return to the Shadows is hosted and executive produced by me, Dominic Sherwood, and Catherine McNamara. Our executive producer is Ling Lee. Our senior producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. And our producers are Hannah Harris and Kristen Vermillion. Original music by Alex Kinsey, performed by Alex Kinsey and Catherine McNamara. And the episode was mixed by Seth Alansky. It's fine. Make sure you subscribe to Return to the Shadows wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to drop us a review.
0: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
2: Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was voted.